We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. AB Nation, welcome to another edition of the Irish Breakdown Podcast. It is Friday, and y'all know what that means. It means it's time for our Friday free-for-all mailbag. That means today we're going to talk about what you all want to talk about. So you all send in your questions. We've already got 32 questions starred. I expect some more good ones to uh, kind of jump in here as we as we go into this. And... Uh, Going to be a lively topic today. Obviously, a lot going on at Irish Breakdown. We've got several articles up front. Uh, Obviously, on the the website, irishbreakdown.com, I want you to check out. We dropped an intel piece yesterday on on the message board at boards.irishbreakdown.com. Hope to have another one on the defense either tonight or tomorrow morning. Hope to have that done. Just still waiting to hear back from a couple sources on some things with the defense. I've heard some good things about the defense so far. Obviously, that you're, you're hope to hear good things this early in fall spring practice, and so far we have heard good things. Hear a lot of things about uh, the battles in practice being back and forth. Offense maybe has the advantage one day. Defense has the advantage the next. And honestly, that's where you want to be as a head coach. As an offensive coordinator, that's not where you want to be. As a defensive coordinator, it's not where you want to be. You want to win all the time. But as a head coach, you want to see your units going back and forth. And I think that's kind of what we um, what we've seen in so far from what I've heard. I'm really looking forward to tomorrow. For those of you who don't know, tomorrow we're going to have a special mailbag. I'm not sure what time it's going to get kicked off. It just depends on what time practice is over. And the reason that we are talk what I'm talking about is tomorrow we get access to Notre Dame's practice. It's going to start at 10:45, and we get access to the full practice. It's the only full practice we have access to. So whenever that show, whenever that practice is over, we'll have our show. It's probably going to be around two o'clock is probably when we'll get started with that. And we'll have a lot to say, a lot to say about just what we see from the Notre Dame football team during tomorrow's practice. So let's get to the mailbag, everybody. And, and you got you all did a great job with with getting questions in. And, and I wanted to start. I wanted to start. So it's kind of funny. There was a a question that I assumed that we would get in the show, and we went through, and I started like 
30 questions and Ryan starts on behalf. He had to leave. By the way, if you're someone who, like me, believes in the power of prayer, keep Ryan and his family in your prayers today. Uh, Ryan was getting ready to do the show, and, and uh, there's a just a family of mercy came up, and so he I had told him he had to go and deal with that. So that's why he's not going to be with us today. I'm hoping to have another guest join me or another co-host join me here soon. We, we shall see. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Nathan asks, in the last 10 years, who were the top three most athletically gifted players at Notre Dame? I, I think this one is, for me, relatively easy for me to get the top two. I'm going to have to think for a second about the third. The top two is easy. That's Jalen Smith and, and Will Fuller. I think when you look at the last 10 years, you're talking about going back to 2013. I, I think if you're going to talk just, you know, again, pound for pound athleticism, Jalen Smith before the injury was a truly special athlete. Uh, I think that Will Fuller was clearly an explosive guy. I think if you're going to go pound for pound athlete, athlete, most athletically gifted players, I'd probably put Chase Claypool in that conversation next. I think, I think Chase is, is, you know, I know Miles tested better in some areas than Chase. But I think Chase was more showed it. Chase was still every bit the athlete that that uh, that Miles Boykin was. I'm going to pull up their their combine numbers because I know there was definitely some where Miles was definitely better than than Chase was, and some some that I believe Chase was a little bit better. So here here was Miles uh, 
results from the from the NFL uh, scouting combine, which he dominated. He ran a four four two, and you compare that to uh, to Chase Claypool, who ran a four four three. I believe oh, he actually ran a four four two as well. Miles had a slightly better ten yard split at one five flat. Chase is one five two. Uh, Miles had a 43 and a half inch vertical compared to 40 and a half for Chase. Miles had an 11 eight broad jump compared to just 10 six uh, for Chase. And so, uh, and then Chase didn't do last year was the the whole thing where they didn't do a lot of the. That was a year where a lot of guys didn't do some of the um, the other testing times and things along those lines. So uh, I, I I would I'm curious what I, I don't have Chase's stuff in front of me for uh, what he did at the pro day, but. I think when you look on the field, I think Chase was the more dynamic athlete on the field. So I'd, I'd probably go pound for pound Chase. You could, if we're talking last ten years, you could make a case for CJ Procise, who was a dynamic athlete. Kamari Russell was a dynamic athlete. Uh, there's, there's Kyle Hamilton was a really dynamic athlete. Although I, you know, his, his speed wasn't as good as some others, but the other athletics numbers were really, really good with Kyle. So I, you know, there's, there's guys like that. I think, but for me, I'm going to go chase. When you talk about a 6'5", 230-pound guy that could run a 4'4", and jump 40 and a half inches, there was some really special stuff there, really special stuff there with him. And I think, he, yeah, he measured in at 6'4", 238 at the combine and ran a 4'4", and jumped 40 and, a, 40 and a half inches. That's really good. That's really good. So I, that would be mine. Be curious what you guys, who who you had. So, I mean, obviously, we, I think we all assume Jalen was in that conversation. Who would you guys have? There's some young guys in the roster now that I'm curious to see kind of what they do as their careers continue. I'm, I'm more going off of guys that are more we've seen for the entirety of their careers. That's who I'm kind of going with. Uh, Joe Medina actually said uh, Quentin Nelson. That's an interesting one. I don't know if Quentin was necessarily an elite athlete for his position, but you could then get into the case, which I'd be willing to bet knowing Joe that the argument he would make is for pound for pound. You're talking about a 340-pound guy. Uh, be an interesting one to consider. It would be a very interesting one to consider. I, like, I feel that way a little bit about Aaron Banks. I think Aaron Banks for his size was a really good athlete and had really good testing numbers for a guy his size. Next question is from uh, – we're going to go Quinn Kibler. Quinn says, what can we expect from Jabron Payne, Jadarian Price, and Jeremiah Love this year? What will that position look like outside of the workhorse guys? Well, right now, Quinn, it's still a, it's still up in the air. It's still a question mark for me. I mean, we need to see if Jabron can get his groove back. I've, that We had a little bit on Jabron in the intel piece that we dropped on the board yesterday. And, and you know, he was a good back. I've said this before. I'll say it again. I said it the other day. I've said it when they got him. If he doesn't get hurt two years in a row, he's probably at Michigan or Ohio State or something like Penn State, some school like that, not Notre Dame, because they wouldn't have been able to flip him from Indiana. And, and so, you know, I, I think he's a good back. If, if you're ever in a time in your life where you've got to rely on Jabron Payne as your lead running back, you're going to be fine. Like, especially if your offensive line's really good, you're going to be fine. Jabron Payne's a good running back. Jeremiah Love's an, a dynamic player. And Jadarian Price is the wild card, right? I think Jeremiah Love has a chance to be a star at Notre Dame. I think Jadarian Price did as well before the injury. It's hard for me to really say for sure what we're going to see from him just because we haven't seen him. He hasn't really been at the two practices we've seen. I'm, I'm going to hold off judgment on Jadarian until the fall. I'll say this. If Jadarian gets back to what he was before the Achilles injury, in my view, 
he might be the best running back on the roster. He's got that kind of ability. And uh, by the way, a guy that nobody ranked in their top 200, by the way, I just want to remind people of that when we, when we start assuming that the, the, the recruiting rankings are, are, uh, are always right or spot on or, or evaluate Notre Dame players uh, correctly. The, I believe highest, excuse me, highest two, four, seven sports had him at one sixty six on three to not have him in their top 300 ESPN had him at two twenty seven, and rivals had him at two forty four. Good player. I think he should have been ranked higher. I thought he was a top 100, borderline top 100 back coming out of high school. We'll see. So I, I think it's, I, I think it's, uh, for me, a thing where it just depends on his health. But if Jabron's just a good player, but not a great player again, with Jeremiah Love, with Jabron Payne, and then Jadarian as still a good player, I think your backfield is, is in great shape. Now it's about just building on it. You know, go get out, get Keydron Young or Anthony Carey to go with Aeneas Williams. You know, go into the 2025 class, get one of the dudes from that class. And I think that that this is what we talked about the other day. Uh, what Ryan and I talked about this the other day. The success on the field this year will have an impact on the 24 class, but the biggest impact it'll have is in 25. So if Notre Dame goes out there and puts up the kind of points that we expect them to put up, then I, I think that we're going to look at a situation and say they're going to start closing on some of these big-time guys that maybe right now are the difference between them being the number nine-ranked class and the number four-ranked class. Uh, I think we'll see some of that stuff as well. Sean, you ready to go? All right. The man Sean Davis stepping up for me to help out today. Uh, Sean was uh, kind enough to, to call an audible on his day uh, to come join us today for the mailbag, Sean. So thank you for being with us today, man. Pleasure as always be Driss, IB Nation. You've actually only missed like two questions. I spent the first 25 minutes talking about that 247 Sports article uh, and kind of stating my case for why it was. Uh, I gave the guy the benefit Ooh. of the doubt, Sean. I don't think he was trying. I, I listened to the pot, like that segment of the podcast. I don't think he's trying to be inflammatory or disrespectful. Yeah. I think it was a flawed argument. And, and it's kind of bad when your own rankings don't back up what you're saying. You know, you'd think you'd spend a little bit more time doing your due diligence on, on, uh, the statement you're making and it's kind of apples and oranges correct like the first full class in my opinion with the market streaming effect is going to be the 2024 class good even point. though that's coming off a nine and four season that's his season right so the 24 class and the 25 class would be the first two classes that are impacted by marcus freeman and marcus freeman alone what he's done in notre dame and the program being his I still think parts of that 23 class was suffering from the residue of Brian Kelly and his recruiting acts and the court, the wide receiver coach situation and some other things that we talked about plenty of times. But 24, in my opinion, is Marcus Freeman's true first class. And then it's the first time his staff will have had a full season to recruit right. through the season and then after the season. So, that's the way I look at that. So it's hard. And, and you're not wrong, Sean, but but here's my here's my thing to build on your point. Even then, look at the numbers. Yeah. His first two classes are still better than what we had seen the previous decade. Then that's kind of my point. And here's the other thing I did not do in my article because I wanted to I didn't want to do that because it's not something that you can quantify. Mm-hmm. I didn't talk at all about how this recruiting staff is dealing with NIL at all. I didn't talk about that at all. Because I think that would be a a slanted argument that would be flawed. 
you know, in, in my, from my standpoint, but I know a lot of people will say that has made it even harder for Marcus Freeman and his staff to recruit, which speaks even more volumes about the fact that they recruited even better than that one before. Let's, let's get to some more questions here. And uh, it's good timing for you, Sean, because we got a Charles Jagasaw question coming up here to start. Uh, Nathan Milton says, would it be surprising to you if Charles Jagasaw came in the fall and snags a starting guard spot? His intentions? Do I, I sound okay, Beatrice? Yeah, you're good now. Okay. His intentions are right along those lines. He's actually in great spirits. I talked to him about a week ago. Uh, he came down and visit, visited Notre Dame recently. And he wants to start. He plans to go ahead and compete. Uh, but we're hearing really good things about some of the interior guys right now on the first team. Mm-hmm. So I don't think there will be any rush for him to start. But if he comes out and he looks good and physically he should be okay from the minor procedure he had in the offseason that unfortunately kept him from uh, big, uh, defending his heavyweight championship in wrestling. And then I think as Brian has reported, he missed being able to report early after that by like yeah. two days or something. So, because well, um, Sean, wasn't that the deal, right? He was not going to enroll early because he wanted to wrestle. Right. Then he got hurt and he's like, well, I can't wrestle now. So that's my whole reason for coming back. So I want to enroll early, but it was like two days past the deadline to, yeah. to get it all done. Yeah. To get it all done. So, that's a you know, but he's in really good spirits. And he, I think if I'm not mistaken, if it's not this weekend, he's coming back twice yeah. in April. He's going to come back a weekend before and then he'll be at the blue and gold game. So he's excited to get there. And I fully expect him to be one of the best interior offensive linemen that they have. Like if they have, I'm not talking about just the best, let's say the best five linemen on the team, just regardless of position. I'm sure he could be in the midst of that sometime during fall camp. But, I mean, you have your two tackles. Zeke Carell is your center. And that was just a matter of, you know, once again, do you do you feel like as a staff, even if he's one of those best five, do you feel like you need to rush him at the start of the season or can he find a way to get into some type of rotation down the line early in the season or in the middle of the season, you know? So th- that's that's a very interesting thing. But I definitely think he has a chance to be one of the best five linemen in the offensive line room in the fall. I don't think I, I think pure talent wise, I think that's probably what I expect to see. Yeah. You know, I think we'll see, will he, will that mean he's ready to play? Maybe not. Right. Maybe, Cause I mean, we heard this last year, Sean, people were like, man, this Billy Shrouth kid is so talented. We sure did. But he wasn't ready to play yet. Right. He just, you know, knowing the system, he'd missed all spring because of the injury. So he just wasn't ready to play yet. And by the time he was ready to play, it's like, okay, it's, past redshirt time let's yeah. you know let's let's like not play him yeah but it wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me a, a little bit simply because i i like the guard depth chart coming back with billy shrouth with mm-hmm. with uh andrew christophic uh ty chan rocco spindler possibly michael carmen if you can put weight on uh, maybe ashton craig there's a lot of good options there and charles would have to pass up a lot of good options and sometimes that has a lot to do with whether a guy is going to play or not as well. I mean, you look at the freshman receiver, Sean, in other years with, with, the, with Chancey Stuckey as a receivers coach, they're playing a ton. 
Whereas now they're they're fighting their butts off just to get to the number five spot, right? Because of the right. fact that they they have to beat out Tobias Merriweather, Deion right. Colsey, Caleb Smith, Jaden Thomas, Lorenzo Styles, and it's just like a guy like Lorenzo Styles is like, man, I hope I can. He's battling for the five spot right yeah. now. You know, a, a, an honorable mention all ACC kid cut transfers in from Virginia Tech, and no one's talking no one's about talking him. about. Him. Because it's like he was the best guy on the team at Virginia Tech. He ain't that guy here. Now he's important and he's a good player, and I'm glad he's here. But you know, it just speaks volumes of the talent, and that's kind of where Charles, the situation Charles finds himself in. There's a lot of uncertainty at guard. There's not a lot of there's not a lack of talent, no. in my opinion. But I also say that that when you're that good, like Charles is, yeah. you're going to have a better shot at saying, "Hey, he's going to make some mistakes." But man. Now, if they're, you know, every offensive line, I'm sure, has their question marks, right? Because you lose. I mean, Michigan just lost their all-American center. Mm-hmm. So who's going who's gonna to be the center for them? If you're going to have question marks, at least you know you have your tackles in your center. Right. Now, the interior, for some reason, and correct me if I'm wrong, I would much rather – let me say it like this, and then you can just go ahead and explain it better, I'm sure. I would much rather be go into the season trying to figure out my guards, knowing that I have the talent and I might not just have the experience. Like look, I have talented kids. We just don't know. We have to they have to play. They have to get reps. I wouldn't want that in my tackles. That that experience is only at one guard spot. Andrew Kristoffic has eight career starts. Absolutely. He started next to Joe Alt. So yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. So, so yeah, I mean, Sean, I always, I would much rather have talent over experience without talent. That yeah. would always be what I'd want. And that's why I never bought the, well, Kane Madden's really experiencing. I don't care how experienced he is. He's just not talented. That was the issue. Well, yeah. look what that experience did for him at Notre Dame. It allowed him to do his job from an assignment standpoint, but he couldn't do his job effectively from a talent standpoint. Right. At this level. So, it, it also because my mentality too, Sean, is I feel like I was a good football coach. So I didn't care if a kid knew how to run routes or whatever. I'll teach him how to do that. You know, that, that's what I'm getting paid to do. So give me a kid with talent. And if I believe in myself as a coach and I believe that I'm coaching for the right reasons and focusing on the right things, then I'm going to do that. Here's the one big caveat that, I, that I'll throw into this, in this, Sean. If you're Joe Walton, Marcus Freeman, and Jared Parker, not Joe Walt, Joe Rudolph, you got to sit down with yourselves and have a real thorough conversation this summer and mm-hmm. say, yes, I think Charles might be able to help us a guard, but we like where we're at a guard. Mm-hmm. The reality is we might lose one or both of our tackles after the season. Mm-hmm. Do we want Charles to lose a year of work at tackle knowing he might be start battling for a starting job at tackle next year because the depth at guard is actually better than the depth at tackle. Because behind the, the starters now, you've got, what, Emil Wagner and Tosh Baker? Yeah. And then after that, you don't have a lot. You know, so is Charles going to be in a position where he can battle either Tosh or Emil for a starting job in 2024 tackle? Is that where you're looking? Then maybe you can't afford to have him – Spend a year at guard. That's the other conversation. Unless it's a no-brainer, he's flat out the best guy at that position. Yeah. I think that'd be the only exception. So it's not it's not always as easy as like, oh, yeah, he's super talented. 
But what if you don't view him? What if you view him as your future right tackle? Then then you may want to say, hey, uh, we, we he, he's going to need – it's more valuable for him to be that guy next year than it is for him to work as, an, as a rotation guard, kind of like let's say like Robert Hainsey did in 2017. 20, uh, That's part of the conversation too. And it's not an easy answer. It's not because you're like, because we need to focus on this team. That's the thing. And you you look at that. That's very interesting that you point that out, right? Because a lot of people, I know myself and Ryan, we talked about this um, with the the nap uh, commitment, and a lot of people being down on that and, and saying, "Look, if Joe Rudolph says this kid is the goods, then give him one." You still going? You still going after Caleb Brewer and Gerby Lambert? If if this is his one that he's banking on. Give give it to him, right? Because you look at him and you say he might not play tackle. He might have to go inside. They might be dependent on that, and they might feel really good about where they sit with Gerby Lambert and Caleb Brewer right. and Charles Jagasaw, just to go to your point. They might feel like, okay, we have our three right. next tackles that are going to solidify the depth. We feel really good about those, and if we don't get those guys – we have some got some backup, right. so you know that might be the plan. They might and it could be too. Is Tosh and Emil? It's about how how do Tosh and Emil play this year? That's another thing. Now we know Emil is bull strong. Yeah, as he sits right now, what is it about two eighty something? Two seventy eight, two seventy nine, somewhere right. around. Yeah. So they're trying to probably get him up at least to two ninety something, but mm-hmm. he's just as strong as anybody else on the offensive line right. as he currently sits. Functional strength, functional wise, strength. Yes. Yeah. So. But can he play? That's, I mean, and that's the thing. And we've heard good things yeah. about Tosh. So it's, there's a whole, the point I'm making um, is this. If, if you're, it's not just about, okay, he's got a, he could, he has a shot to be one of our best guards. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, we've got a, we've got a balance present and future. Yeah. And, and so that's kind of the way I look at it, in my opinion. It, it's, it, it wouldn't be hard to do. Yeah. It wouldn't be hard to see him there, but I could also understand if the staff is like, we need to get him ready for tackle. Absolutely. That that would be that would be there too. Let's get to the next question, Sean. Uh, are you able to read these? If I start bringing them up, are you able to read them? Yeah. Okay, cool. Because so, that'll make it easier for me to kind of be hunting through and finding more questions and starring them and all that kind of stuff. So let's rock yeah. and roll here with, with uh, Quinn Kibler. Quinn Kibler, also on running backs, do you expect to take another one in 2024 outside Aeneas Williams? Yes, they're definitely re- – now, do they – Do they? are they going to take a second running back no matter what? No. They're going to take a second running back if, if it's a, the right guy. And right now, the th- there's a board that's deeper than two guys, but the top two guys on the board right now are Keydron Young uh, out of Texas, who I absolutely love. Mm-hmm. Right now, he's a 215 kid with great feet, speed, Big-time player, in my opinion. And then Anthony Carey, who's a, a running back from Florida, who I also think is a really good running back. You know, not yeah. a not a super dynamic player that's going to, you know, blow people away. And and uh, But, man, you just pop on the film, you're just like, man, this kid knows how to play football. This kid's a good football player. So I, I think both of those guys are really good football players. I think both of those guys are without question sort of that you're only going to take a second back if he's a guy, if he's like a really good player. And and I, Keydron Young for sure is that guy, and yeah. and I also I also personally think Anthony carries that guy, Sean. I'm not sure what your thoughts are on those two players. No, both of those guys are absolutely fantastic. I, I tend to favor Keydron Young out of Texas. 
you know, just watching his film. Uh, he just he reminds me so much. Who was uh I mean he's bigger, but he reminds me so much the way he runs and how hard he runs of uh Quentin Griffin that was back there at Oklahoma back in the day, number 22. Just it's real stout, fast, you know, runs faster than you might think he is based upon the way he runs and the style he runs. He runs inside, outside. I love that kid. Anthony Carey is also fantastic. But I, I really think the 24 class has a couple of guys that stand out. But for the most part, man, you can go around the country. This 24 class is pretty loaded at the running back position. I mean, you can get some pretty good running backs. Yeah. You know, if you miss out on a guy and he decides to go somewhere else, you know, I guess they call it the fallback. The fallback is not bad. And it's up to Dylan McCullough to decide whether or not they want to go ahead and take. Because the running back depth, you expect to lose possibly two of your guys in the running back room going into next year. So picking up two will probably fit that bill. But you already, like you said, you talked about Jadarian Price possibly being the best of the bunch. If he didn't injure himself, Jeremiah Love coming into the fold. Jabron Payne has been getting run due to injuries. You know, in the spring, he's been getting a lot of more reps. So they're going to have some guys that can go yeah. out there and produce. And, yeah. and it, I think the thing that we love at the running back position is that Notre Dame has always been able to find a way to get productive running backs in Notre Dame. But I wouldn't necessarily say Notre Dame has had superstar running backs. Correct. You know what I mean? They're, they haven't had a Bijan Robinson. Yeah. They haven't had a Derrick Henry. Yeah. They, they haven't had that kind of guy. You're absolutely right. And the only guy that they signed like that was Greg Bryant. Yeah. And some people thought he could maybe be that guy. I, I thought Greg was good. I didn't think he was that. I didn't think he was a top 100 guy. I thought he was more of a top 50 to 75 guy coming out. But, yes, you're absolutely right, Sean. But they haven't had any problems with production. No. When they've had – I mean, Sierra Wood, when his head was on straight, was a very good back. Obviously, Theo Riddick was a, a, a good, reliable back. You had Josh Adams was a, a, a big-time producer. Dexter Williams, when his head was on straight, was a big-time producer. Kyron was a, a really good producer with not running on a great offense, and we saw what we did last year. I think Keydron Young and, and Anthony Carey is a fun argument to debate as far as who you like better mm-hmm. because Keydron is so much like Audric and Anthony Carey is so much like Logan Diggs. Yeah. So we're back to the whole, you know, team Audric, team Logan debate. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's a good the point. The fact of the matter is they're both really good backs, yeah. very good backs. And if they can add one of those guys to the Nice Williams, who's more of an all around kind of guy, you've got a heck of a one, two punch at running back. And you've Absolutely. now recruited running back at an exceptional level now for four years in a row. You have the Tyree in 2020 Diggs and estimate in 2021 Jerem, um, Jadarian Price and Jabron Payne in 2022, so five years in a row. Jabron and Jadarian in 2022, Jeremiah Love in 2023. So you have five really strong classes in a row if you can land one of those two guys. And and yet again, you no, know, they don't have a, a, a Bijan Robinson, but you know who else hasn't had a guy like that? Like every national championship team, like in a long time. Yeah, I think you'd have to go back if I'm you know, Travis Etienne in 18. You know, but like. I don't. I never thought Najee Harris was an elite back. In my opinion, I thought he was a really good back on a really great offense. He was a really. He was a great high school player. Great high school player. Except when he yeah. faced against Tariq Bracy. Tariq outplayed him. By the way, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but I, you know, he was a really good back. I never thought yeah. he was an elite back. He's not like he's not Derrick Henry. In my opinion, he's not Travis Etienne. 
you know, 2021 Georgia, they were a running back by committee type of group. This past Georgia team running back by committee. Yeah. So I think you'd have to go back to Derrick Henry, uh, in my opinion. Like Alabama 2017, they didn't have elite running backs that year. They had guys yeah. that were ranked high, yeah. but they weren't elite running backs, in my yeah. opinion. Uh, when you look like Damian Harris and Bo Scarborough, they weren't elite backs. No. And and I think the NFL draft somewhat showed that. They were overrated because of who they who they committed to, in my opinion. And I think to go to the point that we discussed in the previous question, hey, the running back position can be one of those positions that highlights the level of recruiting and how it's going up in comparison to what it was. You know, plenty of production. But now, you know, Jadarian Price was different. You know, if you didn't get a chance to see him in practice like we did, that wasn't a shot at you, Beatrice. It's all good. <laughs> He was he you was different. <laughs> he was different. Jeremiah Love is different. They're just different athletes at that position. And so now Notre Dame is going out and identifying. Aeneas Williams is different. Look, I think what they're doing, you think about this, what they're doing spring with Chris Tyree, working with him at both positions, is really great considering the running backs they have coming. Jeremiah Love in the fall and Aeneas Williams, both guys that can do a lot in the run game and the passing game. So now your favorite personnel, the 21 personnel, can be on the field and be far more effective because they're learning how to use, I think, dealing with Chris Tyree, now they can learn how to use different ways the talented running backs that they have coming down the pipeline that are far more explosive than what we've possibly seen in Notre Dame in previous years. Championship game, and Notre Dame has the ball on opponent's 20-yard line with five seconds on the clock. What 11 players do you want in the field, and what play are you calling? Well, I'm not telling you what play I'm calling because, there's, as I've said a million times, it just depends on what's the weather conditions, what stadium we're on, what the field conditions, what what defense am I facing a 3-3-5, am I facing a 4-2-5, whatever the case may be. So specific play call. If I got the ball in the opponent's 20-yard line, uh, five seconds on the clock, what 11 players I want on the field, uh, am I down three, am I down two, am I down six? I mean, that that's another part of it, right? So uh, I don't know. Do I need a touchdown? So that's kind of all part of it. So let's just assume with this question, Sean, that you need a touchdown. Okay. Because otherwise it's like I'm doing something safe to set up the game-winning field goal. Right. Uh, so let's assume you need a touchdown. I'm going 11 personnel. I'm going to have um, I'm going to have Deion Colsey on one side, Tobias Merriweather on another side, probably Jaden Thomas in the middle, and my tight end. Because what I want is if I need a touchdown and I got one play, basically 20-yard line, let's say there's no timeouts, uh, you know, and and whoever my running back is is going to be whoever my best pass blocker is. Like that, that's who I'm going to have there, because I got to take a shot. I mean, I I got to score. Now, what you could also say is I need to get, you know, if there's five seconds left, here's the other. You know, do you run a quick outcut to get out of bounds and maybe get a little closer to where you can run a better play? That's something that you'd consider too. Again, there's not there's a lot of stuff I don't know about the situation. What's the down and distance? How many timeouts do I have left? There's just a lot of things like that. If I have a timeout left, Sean, I could run a quick slant. If they're going to play off, I could run a quick slant. Hey, catch the ball and get down. 
get what you get and get down. Right. You know, and then we're calling timeout and then we've got another play to run. So uh, it's just a lot of factors I need to know as far as specifically what play that I would call. But what I do know is I'm going to have my big guys because I think you're too, you're not quite close enough to where a make you miss guy is going to really help you. You need a guy that can catch the ball at or near the goal line. And I think Jaden, Tobias, and Dion are my best three. And Mitchell Evans or Holden Stace, whoever my best red zone weapon is a tight end. Those are the four guys that give me the best shot of saying, hey, we're going to run some kind of play, whether it's you know throwing up a go route or I may go trips and 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 use like Tobias to kind of run a backline throw to see if we can get him open. I may do like a little half roll. Maybe send Tobias, who'd be my outside guy, like on some sort of like a a, a, a wide, you know, an over route backside, maybe a throwback type of situation, or and then uh, run my other two guys on sort of like a wide fade, like a wheel type of concept, something like that, um, and then maybe have J- Jaden Thomas run some sort of delay under type of thing, where maybe I can sneak one, but I'm going to get somebody in, in, on, on two parts of the end zone where and kind of have the quarterback read where's the defense going if the defense is primarily going to uh, to Dion then what I'm going to do is I'm going to throw the ball up to the backside mm-hmm. and throw it high because if they're in chase mode on 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 Tobias I'm going to throw it up and give him a chance to go up and get it if they're just playing straight up then I may say hey throw it up near the sideline to to Dion let give him a shot to where only he can catch it you know, uh, those are the two, some type of concept like that, most likely if I'm yeah. facing, but if I'm facing a team that plays zone, I'm going to handle that differently. And that's why I say there's a lot of what ifs that I'd need to know that I would have a better feel of based on the week of prep and study of that team to help me better answer that question. But assuming that they're in man, a lot of teams like to play man in the red zone, yeah. some kind of concept like that would probably be where I would go. I was liking what what you were saying because I was thinking – Jaden Thomas, one of his strengths, I would probably go trips to the right, Tobias backside, and based upon man or zone, he can either run just a fade or he can run, he can fake like he's coming across on a drag and then take it to the corner um, that way. But I would also do the little short rollout yeah. to the right and have um, Jaden Thomas, the inside receiver, run to the corner, maybe a dig under him from the outside, and then have Tobias in the middle receiver, uh, someone else, Deion Cozy, running the back, uh, back of the end zone on a dig or something like that or across, just to give you options. And then your receivers have the options based upon whether or not they're being played, man. Um, you know, one of those receivers can just go to the goal line and sit and turn around if they see zone. It's a lot of different things you can do. But I, we're pretty much along the same line, pretty much along the same line in that position. You definitely have to move your quarterback because I would expect from most defensive coordinators, I would expect some pressure. Yeah. In that situation. I would expect some pressure in that situation. So let's see. Got, got one here, Sean, from USM. Oh, yeah, I was I'll about pull to pull it up. up. No, okay. no, it's all good. I'll pull them up and you answer and you you read them. So we got one from okay. USMA eighty seven. Hey, thank you, USMA 87. What part of practice are you most looking forward to seeing tomorrow? Okay. What group do you want to see the most? I want to see the lines. I mean, we've seen the athletes running around. I want to see the lines. I want to see who's who looks good, 
who's banging, who's who's competing, you know, which D linemen are stepping up. I'm really looking mm-hmm. forward to seeing Jason Onye. I've heard a lot of great things about him. I thought he looked mm-hmm. good in drills the other day. Yep. Uh, looking forward to seeing him in a full practice. You know, I I, I um I have not seen the entire team play in a full practice so far. So I'm looking forward to seeing that on Saturday and uh, and seeing what they have to bring to the table. So uh, that that's for, I mean, you, you, you watch all of it, right? I want to see, I want to see how the receivers and all that, but I I'm really looking forward to seeing the, the, the front seven on defense and the offensive line. And just because I've seen zero run game this spring so far. So I'm looking forward to seeing that battle for in a full practice. Look, people don't understand how huge, and this is something that we saw like bits and pieces of Jason Onye coming last year. And we would mention him every now and then. When Prince Collie says he's unblockable, no one can block him. If that is confirmed, you don't know how big that is for that defensive line. Because now you're talking about a rotation of four guys on the inside with him, Riley Mills, Gabriel Rubio, and Howard Cross that you go into the season feeling very comfortable with. Very comfortable with. Now, that that makes you feel a lot better because defensive, defensive line is a big question uh, for a lot of people. And if we come back tomorrow and during the practice report, we sit here and say, yeah, what we've been hearing is, is indeed fact. And hopefully he can stay healthy and make it to the season. But for me, Jason Onye is like uh, the same echoes you've been hearing about Nolan Ziegler. Mm-hmm. It's the same echoes you've been hearing about Josh Burnham. Right. Like you, we've said it. These guys are coming. These guys are coming. They're almost there. And now to hear from people inside the program that the consistency is starting to be there on a day-in, day-out basis, it's absolutely amazing. Absolutely amazing. Can you imagine Jason Onye and Tyson Ford popping Oh, and then following that up with what we hope is going to be a tremendous class in the 24 class on the defensive line? Now you're talking about turning the tide. And, and there's high ceilings in last year's class too. I mean, we yes. love four yes. high-ceiling guys. Yeah. Sean, we uh, John A one has the play that he thinks that they should run. Okay, let's see go. if you get this reference. He said fake twenty three blast with a backside Georgia reverse. Do you remember what that's from? Remember the Titans. Remember very the well, Titans. Very well done, John A one. Now very is well preach done. is preach still going to be able to run that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think that would work. Oh well. man, <laughs> really well done. Really well done. Uh, Coach Bent 547 has a question. Coach Bent 574, thank you for your question. Who was each of your picks for breakout freshmen this year, a la Ben Morrison? Feel free to each choose with brain and heart. They are different (laughs) people. I thank you for that uh, concession on the back end because that's definitely something that I would probably need in this conversation. You want to go first? Yeah, sure. I'll, I'll take a shot at that. I, okay. uh, offensively, Sean, uh, you know, I'm going to take one on each side of the ball. Offensively, it's going to be a wide receiver, in my opinion. Which one it'll be, I, I don't know. We'll find out. I mean, they're they're all doing some good things early. I think you're going to see a freshman crack the rotation, whether it's because they just play well, someone gets yeah. injured, someone transfers yeah. in the after the spring. Some something's going to happen where one of those guys is going to be counted on. I think he's going to really show himself because unlike what we saw last year. 
this guy's walking a situation where there's zero pressure on him yeah because of how well the the other the other guys are and because they're going to be running the football as well as i think they're going to be running the football so you can pick one you can pick rico you can pick Jaden. you can pick braylon i can pick anyone that you want i think that would be uh that would be my my pick for them and and then on defense i I th- I'm, I'm sticking at the same position, man. I- I'm I'm staying a corner. I'm going with your guy, Christian Gray. I, yeah, I yeah. think that, you know, he's going to be a kid that's going to help out on special teams. He's a guy that's going to help out, uh, you know, may- maybe earn a spot in the nickel. Yeah, I-, I think Christian's going to have a shot to play. And and I know that Notre Dame wants to be able to rotate their corners a little more just to keep Cam and Benjamin from just having to play too many reps. And, and especially, you're not taking them off field against Ohio State, but, you know, right. you can work them in there in, the, in a lot of those other games. The other guy that the, I, I'll, don't be shocked if one of the two freshman linebackers is is balling out this year at the very least on special teams. What I don't know if we're going to see this year, Sean, just from an opportunity standpoint, I don't know if there's a freshman that's going to have the the opportunity to start the way that Benjamin did, just because of how loaded they are in some other positions. So, for example, like Drake Bowen and Jaden Osbury. I'll have an update on them in the the defensive intel piece when we finally put it up because I did have some stuff on them. As good as they are, they've got to beat out Nolan Ziegler and Jalen Sneed and you know J.D. Bertrand and yeah. Jack Kaiser. It's, it's it's a little not as easy as beating out Clarence Lewis with all due yeah. respect. You know, yeah. uh, same thing a wide receiver to start. Those guys have got to beat out Tobias Merriweather, Deion Colsey, Jaden Thomas, uh, Lorenzo Styles, and Caleb Smith. Yeah. So it's just it's just not going to be as easy this year as it was in past years. Jeremiah Love, another example. In in past years, Jeremiah Love is playing a ton as a freshman, but now he's got to beat out Audric Estime, Logan Diggs, mm-hmm. uh, Jadarian Price, Jabron Payne, and possibly Chris Tyree. So I just don't know if there's a freshman that's going to have that same opportunity because Benjamin was a star last year for two reasons: one, very talented, and two, the opportunity was there. Because the cornerback opposite Cam Hart just was simply not as good as what you need at that position. Yeah, and so that that's kind of where where I'm at on that one. So we'll see. I'm, I'm going to go and cast um, my die. I'm going to bring up one of the receivers, and I just really, man, look from just watching him move. It comes down. Jane Greathouse is is. He's just a dude, man. He's just a dude, you know. They've all made really good plays and really good catches. Like you've seen highlights from Braylon, Rico, Kenny Minchie throwing to throwing to them. Like you've seen it from the freshman class. It's a very talented class. I'm going to say the Drake Great House is that guy. Any uh, with my heart, I would of course pick my guy Christian Gray. But I'm going to go ahead since you chose Christian, and I'm going to say Devin Houston. I'm going to say Devin Houston at 280, and by the time they get the fall, I expect him to be a little bit heavier. But I think Devin Houston is just athletic enough and quick enough and just strong enough to be able to hold up and be able to give some good reps as a freshman. And I'm not break out in the point of being an All-American, but break out in the point to where 10, 15 snaps, and he's making plays. He's being disruptive on the defensive line, and he flashes you know, during games. I'll go ahead and say take Devin Houston. I'd feel a lot better about that one if he wasn't hurt this spring. Yeah, that, that's, that's the only, thing that – yeah. That'd be my only thing. Be my only thing. All right, Sean, here we go. We got another one. Yeah, let's get it. 
How do you guys feel about running more air raid passing concepts? Not surprised given Parker, but do you think we will have the personnel to do it? Thank you, Coach Ben 574. So for, for me, Sean, when, when you look at it, everybody runs some type of air raid concepts just about. And, and I think that because it's a comment of one of the tight ends said that they're running some air raid concepts. And that gets way overblown, right? I mean, a lot of – it's like there's teams that aren't West Coast offenses that run some West Coast concepts. Air raid in its traditional sense has to do with an overall – an overarching philosophy of how you're going to play. Notre Dame will look nothing like an air raid team this year. They're just they're just not going to. There will be certain concepts or ISO concepts, certain certain things that that, that are prominent in the air raid family. But it, it's I I hate using that term because I think people turn take that as they're going to be doing something different, and and they're not. It's going to be a pro style team that has certain pass concepts that fit what they do that you see a lot of air raid teams doing. The air raid has become the modern West Coast in a lot of ways, Sean. In that, that's true. There's a few true believers in it, right? But like what Lincoln Riley does in the air raid is looks nothing like what Mike Leach does in the air raid. You know, yeah. and may he rest in peace. It looks nothing like what how Mummy, the, the supposed architect originator of the air raid, did. It's certain principles that they still stick to, certain philosophies they still stick to. Uh, getting guys the ball in space, isolations, you know, sim- keeping things simple. You know, you only have receivers to play left and right. They they only play one position. You know, that was the big knock on. Remember, was it um, the kid that came out of Baylor a couple years ago? Corey Coleman, right? Corey Coleman, yeah. That's a kid only ran four routes. I remember breaking down Will Fuller's film that year. Like, Will Fuller ran like 23 unique route routes that season. Corey Coleman ran like four or five. And he only played on one. I mean, he literally didn't. They did not know if he could get into a left side of the receiver's stance because he, or like right or wh- whichever side he was, because he just never went to that side. Those are not things they're going to be doing. That's really more air raid. There will there be some concepts, yeah, but they're not necessarily going to look a whole lot different than what they do. It's just a little wrinkle here and there, yeah. and that's really what it boils down to. So let's get to the. Uh, the next one, actually, this is for Ryan. Ryan will not be making any spring practice visits, but Ryan, as of right now, the plan is that Ryan will be coming for the Blue Gold game. So hopefully that's able to uh, to, to to stay. Uh, this is a funny one shot. From- <laughs> Jack Swarbrick decides to name himself the new head coach, head football coach, hires BK as OC to run triple option and BBG private going to SDC. What is the title of the first IB show after the announcement? It'll be short and sweet, Sean. I'm out. <laughs> that's what the new show will be called. I'm out. That's, that's, yep. And hey, yep. you know what? I wouldn't, you know, I usually like to mess with you when certain things happen. I I, I would respect the amount of angst that you would be yep. in surrounding this situation here. I'd give you one of these. <laughs> I'd give you one of these. I'm gonna start covering Illinois, Sean. That's what I would do. Hey, so it, a lot night breakdown, baby. A lot night breakdown. Got to do a rebranding. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, yeah, that would not go well. That would not go well. Thank you. It's got a super chat from K Grant. Thank you, uh, thank you, K Grant, very, very much, man. Thank you, K Grant. I will give another if this show starts out with "I do this for a living" comment. 
I'm doing my best Twitter Ryan today. <laughs> Hashtag two four seven Cooper P. I don't I, get that reference. Did he say something like that? Yeah, you know, Ryan is is always like on Twitter, mm-hmm. hashtagging, like letting people know, like, you know, scouting is what I do. Watching film is what I do. So, you gotcha. know, that's a Ryan. Yeah, that's a Ryan thing on Twitter. Gotcha. When you guys follow gotcha. him, follow him on Twitter. He, he I was curious what the, what the hashtag two four seven Cooper P part of that meant. So. I don't follow him on Twitter, so I don't know what that's a a reference to. So yeah. sorry, sorry about that. Let's get to another one here, but we do appreciate the. Uh, oh, so somebody just sent me something. Apparently, um, yeah. So somebody just sent me what he said for a for a response, and um, the person he responded to has zero credibility in my eyes. So I'm mm-hmm. going with Cooper on that one. So hard, sorry, y'all. But uh, a, a freaking he responded to an absolute clown who steals people's information. So uh, screw that guy. So <laughs> I don't really care what he has to say. Uh, but uh, I see what he said. Anyway. All right. Let's get to the next one here, Sean. Oh, sorry. Here we go. All right. When was the last time the depth of the talent at wide receiver was this deep at Notre Dame? Whew. It feels like Notre Dame has eight wide receivers who can start for power five teams. Am I wrong? How did Coach Stucky do it with only one transfer? Well, I'd say probably the closest we saw was 2018, but they just never used those guys. I mean, you had you had Chase Claypool, you had Miles mm-hmm. Boykin, you had Chris Fink. Uh, that was the freshman year. You had Kevin Austin, you had Brayden Lindsey, uh, Lawrence Keyes, Lawrence Keys. Micah Jones, Joe mm-hmm. Wilkins is probably the closest that they've been to that. Uh, Michael Young was on that team. But this group is more talent than that group. With I mean, it's depth wise. I mean, I, I like Lawrence Keys. I like Micah Jones. I like those guys. But they are not as good as the freshman class now. How did he get it with only one transfer? Well, number one, you got to give a lot of credit to Chip Long for recruiting the Lorenzo Styles and Deion Colsey, and and you've got to give credit to Tommy Reese and and Dell Alexander for recruiting Tobias Merriweather, and then Coach Coach Freeman keeping it. So you start with a good baseline. Yeah, you know, and and where you really got to give credit to is Notre Dame because that's why Tobias is at Notre Dame. It's not because you know, he necessarily was like, oh my God, I just want, my dream in the life is to play for Dell Alexander or Tommy Reese. It's like Notre Dame sells itself in a lot of ways, and Tobias is a young man. If you know his family at all, is a young man who is not a sports is the only thing that matters in my life type of player. It's important, and it should be important because this is his, a chance for him to be. He has the chance to be a professional athlete. Yeah, but at the same time, it's like, but there's a lot more to it. If you're going to be a professional athlete and you're, if you got this type of education and life experience, you're going to be a lot more successful with how to handle what comes with that. Uh, and then maybe if you're able to play five to eight years in the NFL, you can take that money, use your degree that you got from Notre Dame, and turn it into ten times that, whatever the yeah. case may be. And so I think that helped as well. Coach Freeman getting the head job helped. I think there would have been a lot more departures from that 22 class beyond just like the Devin Moore and a couple of those guys, CJ Williams. There'd have been a lot more departures from that class if they wouldn't have hired Marcus Freeman, in my opinion, especially from the defensive uh, class. So um, I think, and then he hit a home run his first year. I mean, that's the thing is he hit an absolute grand slam home run his first year. So you, you talk about the four incoming freshmen plus the transfer all of a sudden, your four five man, your four man returning class. Because here's the thing: 
he that one year saved it. I mean, look, you if Notre Dame's receiving options core, core this year, Sean was a four man rotation of Dion, Tobias, or Tobias, Dion, Lorenzo, and Jaden Thomas. That's a pretty good four man group. The problem is without the recruits that Stucky brought in, that's all you'd have. Matt Salerno is your next guy, and then it's walk ons after that. So I mean, completely fix the depth chart, but there's good players already there. They just needed to be. This is the problem, Sean. They needed to be coached. That was always what was lacking. Those guys weren't getting coached. Now they are, and so you're in a you're in a much better place, much better place. Got another one from John A. One. I'm sorry. Sorry. I just threw out. I just threw out that 13, 14. That group of wide receivers was pretty. pretty Thirteen would have been. That was the. You had Tory. You had T.J. Devaris. Chris Brown. Brown. Uh, oh, that's right. That was Fuller and Robinson. Fuller and Robinson. Freshman year. Yeah. 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 And then that 14 receiving core was pretty good too. Yeah. Because yeah. that's when Tory Tory actually could play. Tory was hurt in 2013. He couldn't play because of that. Right. He broke his leg. Yeah. That's a pretty good group. Uh, I mean, and and look, there were some, I mean, in in, in, 26, in 2016, Sean, you had Equinemius, Tory Hunter, Kevin Stefferson, mm. CJ Sanders, Chris mm. Fink. Miles Boykin, Chase Claypool. So, like, you had years where they were that they were deep. They were deep, yeah. It just they weren't. They didn't. This was always my beef. Didn't utilize. They didn't use them. (laughs) That was the beef. Not that they didn't have talent. Same thing with quarterback. Oh, they're recruiting quarterback. Look, they've always been able to recruit quarterbacks. They just didn't develop them. That was the problem. Well, now I have a lot more faith in the staff now to develop those guys at certain positions than I did before. Yeah, and that's the key. That's John A. One again. Upon Marcus Freeman taking the job, he talked about a one a one and one a depth chart. If Merriweather, Thomas, and Cozy are the ones who is in the one a group, uh, who's in the one a group? So, I mean, Caleb Smith is going to be there. Lorenzo's going to be there. And then after that, it's Matt Salerno or one of the freshmen, depending on on. It's going to really come down to where you play Lorenzo, because if you play Lorenzo in the boundary, then it's to me, I'd say probably Braylon James would be that next guy, either one of the two outside spots. If if Lorenzo's going to play outside, I, I meant to say if Lorenzo's going to play the slot, I think I might yeah. say Lorenzo outside. If Lorenzo's in the slot, then one of the you know Braylon James or you know will be one of those two outside spots. Uh, if you're going to um, play Lorenzo outside, then it's Jaden Greathouse and Chris Tyree. Now, I left Chris Tyree out of that because Chris Tyree, to me, is on his own little special depth chart, you know, where he's just sort of that AP. You know, so you know how teams will do that. Remember how Virginia did that in 2021? 20, 20, they listed like 13 starters because they had like their 11 starters, and then they had like two guys listed at like, you know, like uh, Katoan Thompson was listed at like FB, like football player, you know, FBP, the list was football player, you know, to me and have my 11 starters and I'd have my AP and it'd be like Chris Tyree, my one and Jeremiah Love, my two would be my depth chart for that. So that would be mine, Sean. What would, uh, would yours look any different? Uh, no, it would definitely be Lorenzo, and Caleb Smith and Salerno probably at the beginning of the season with the freshman coming on taking reps away all right let's get to uh 
got here from God, Country, Notre Dame, and Barbecue. Absolutely one of my favorite names. That's a pretty good combination. Yeah. Hypothetical, hypothetical if I had a time machine and guaranteed you that Hartman went in the first round of the NFL draft next year, how would Indy's season end with a change of Hartman went in top 10? If if you could tell me that Sam Hartman was going to be a first-round NFL draft pick next year, then we're talking about Notre Dame winning the national championship or at least playing for it. Like, there's no doubt in my mind. It means he went out and had an absolute monster 4,000-plus, 40-touchdown season. Mm -hmm. That's exactly what that means to me. And so, yeah. Because, like, to me, that's the kind of – he'd have to have that type of monster season in order to have – be a first round pick. I just don't see him being being that guy uh, for Notre Dame, in my opinion. Certainly and, not from a talent standpoint, right? He's just like he a talent standpoint. Doesn't have the big arm that the first no. round picks have. He doesn't have the size that they have, but he's a really good quarterback. Mm-hmm. Uh, but my whole thing is, is people can say what they want about his talent, but I'll I'll just say this: if Christian Ponder can be a first round NFL draft pick, then Sam Hartman can be a first round NFL draft pick. Okay. And and so if Mitch Trubisky can go number two, then then Sam Hartman can be a first round NFL draft pick. So I say that a little bit in jest, but he'd have to just have an absolute insane season, Sean. And if he has that, Notre Dame's not losing to anyone, in my opinion. Because the other thing too about him being a first round pick is it's because he went toe to toe with Caleb Hart, Caleb Williams, and and outdueled him. He went toe to toe with Cade Klubnik. He went toe to toe with. Uh, you know, um, Kyle McCord or whoever else are going to play. He went toe-to-toe with whoever he's going to face in the postseason. He went toe-to-toe with, you know, Bama, whoever they're going to be, or George or whoever else, and 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 outplayed them. I mean, that's, that's what it would take for him to be a first-round pick. I think the big thing would be Notre Dame will go into the playoffs with the best quarterback in their matchup. That That hasn't been the case. For the first time, Notre Dame can go into a playoff matchup with the best quarterback on the field. Yeah. That is going to be worth anything. Yeah. If indeed he does go on the run, the Heisman run. Look, he's winning the Heisman based upon what you just said. Yes. If he's being considered for the first, he's a quarterback in Notre Dame. He's winning the Heisman. Yeah. He's winning the Heisman, getting to the playoffs, going to the first run. That'll be, man, he definitely made the right decision to come back to Notre Dame because I don't know about you. I felt like he already worked out for teams mm-hmm. when he threw the Michael Mayer at the pro day. Right. He almost got a, a jump on his pro day. And then if he goes out and executes like God country, Notre Dame barbecue says, yeah. It'll end in the national championship game. Right. Somebody has to be the third quarterback taken, right? Right. Now that the quarterback is significantly enhanced, it seems Notre Dame is more comfortable in 11 and 10 personnel sets. Will this aid the defensive staff in developing good depth at nickel? I don't think the I don't think Notre Dame not being in those alignments last year hurt them in developing depth at the nickel. I thought they had a pretty darn good nickel last year in Tariq Bracey. I don't see Notre Dame running a lot of 10 personnel, Sean, because I hope they don't run a ton of 10 personnel because I don't want to take a tight end off the field. To be no. completely honest with you. No. And, I uh, think uh, we're seeing Notre Dame do a lot of stuff in the spring because of the lack of depth in the tight end room. Mm-hmm. You know, right. I think a lot of tight ends are hurt. So, yeah, you're going to see a lot of three, four wide sets from Notre Dame because of that. 
doesn't mm-hmm. necessarily mean that's what they're going to go to in the fall because yeah. Notre Dame is going to run the ball. Yeah. They're going to run and the should. ball. But, yeah, but I do think with Sam Hartman at, at quarterback, you will see a lot more 11 personnel. Yeah. Sean, here's one for you because I haven't actually, uh, other than Mission Barbecue, I haven't really been to a lot of the good barbecue places around here. I know you've experimented on the other side of town because I live on a completely opposite side of town of South Bend. Well, from Frankie's. Andre Tonsil, best barbecue yeah. place in South Bend. Yeah, Frankie's. Where is that? Set downtown? No. Because there was one over by where we used to live in Mishawaka and it closed down. Yeah, that one closed down. I forget yeah. the new one. But I've had Mission as well. Mm-hmm. Mission has some pretty good sides. Yeah. And I had their brisket, which is pretty good. So mission these is, cheesy potatoes, yeah. Season winter seasonal things. That's yeah, yeah. I may actually have yeah. to go get some of that now. After the I don't show. know if they close no. off a certain area in the restaurant, but I know every Thursday night that's where the offensive line goes. So I don't know if they close off the restaurant or just close off a certain area, but that's their that's their that's their place they go to. But Frankie's in the admission. Frankie's rib tips are absolutely fantastic. And to go, we didn't answer the second part of that previous question, which was the nickel is going to be helped more because the receivers are better. There not you to, go. Not not because of the sex. Yeah, guys yeah. are going up against quality receivers on a day. Benjamin day Morris day. is going to be better because of that. Yes. Cam Hart's going yes. to be better because of that. They're all yes. going to be better because of that because mm-hmm. they're being challenged. Like last year's, like after the starters, it was kind of like. Now it's like okay, you're you're going against a third team, and it's like now you're throwing Jaden Greathouse and Braylon James and Rico yeah. Flores at me. Seriously, yeah. yeah. You know, and then you add the other Caleb Smith in the fall. Oh man, it's a completely different universe than it yep. was a year ago. There's no doubt. We've got a two part question here from Matt Sekolowski. So you can go ahead and start on that first part, Sean. Brian, I remember you saying that Jim Knowles' defense usually takes a jumping year too. Could you compare the complexity of his defense to Al Golden's? And do you think Golden's defense could take a jump, a similar jump in a year? From a broad view, it seems as if both guys run a complex defense that takes players a while to transition to. Here's why it's different for me, and based on what Coach Golden did last year. Now, if Coach Golden makes adjustments to what he did last year, then yes, he can absolutely make a jump, Sean. You you and I have talked about this. I have a great deal of respect for Al Golden as a, as a human being and as a football coach. I just don't think he did a great job last year. He didn't do a bad job. He just didn't do a great job. Mm-hmm. The problem that I had with, with, with Al Golden, and this is different than Jim Knowles, is Jim Knowles has a system he believes in that's very complex. And the complexity means that it, it takes a while to kind of understand how to always be in the right position based on adjustments and movements and different things like that to what the offense does. The problem with with what Coach Golden Golden did too much last year is they would just come up with like a completely different philosophy, not not overarching philosophy, but a a completely different plan of attack week to week, you know, where you'd say, man, what they did last week, they're just, they're something doing something completely different. Like, and, and it kind of drove me nuts. And that's where you see in the NFL. You know, where you have a small base, but you're basically putting in new stuff every week to to handle what you're playing. They didn't do go quite that far because it's still a college football team, but there was too much of that. So, like one thing I heard during the season that drove me nuts is I was told by multiple sources uh, around the program that like in the Marshall game, 
the Marshall week, like halfway, like Wednesday, I think they they kind of like scrapped a lot of stuff they were doing and threw in a, a whole new thing. And the thing was, well, we're going to go away from a running game plan and more to a pass game plan. What? Like what? Huh? Right. First of all, have you watched Marshall on film? Marshall They're gonna play, do both. Right. Right. You're going to do both. Their quarterback can't throw the ball more than five yards, ten yards down the field. Like, take away their run, make Henry Columbia beat you. Should have been the game plan. Well, they didn't. They they tried to they tried to take Henry Columbia in the pass game away, and they let the running game just take over. And so it's things like that, Sean, that that are bigger issues for me. It's not so much complexity. It's just that there's there's not a, a, a strong enough foundation to build on week to week because you're always going to add new stuff. You're not just going to run the same defense week after week after week. You're always making adjustments and alterations that are related to what your personnel strengths are, which evolve throughout the season. Like, like this, Al Golden could game plan coverage-wise a whole lot different late October, November when they finally realized what they had in Benjamin Morrison than what you could do going into the Ohio State game. Right. Because you knew Benjamin was going to play, but you didn't know he was going to be that dude, right? Until he went out there and did it, and so it always evolves. But you all you have a foundation to build around, and I just feel like he didn't have enough of a foundation to build around. Whereas Jim Knowles has a strong foundation, and that foundation is very complex, but it doesn't really change. Meaning it this is what it is, and once you learn it, it applies consistently. Yeah. And that's where our ability to match up come from because of our adjustments that, are, that happen because of what the other team is doing. And that's the difference in, in it uh, that I think is why we see uh, Coach Knowles have success in, mul- in years two and three relative to year one. Yeah. I don't know that Al Golden has that kind of track record that we can just assume that's going to happen, but it's it's possible. We it's actually possible. Malik and I actually kind of talked about this, and his concern is that it goes back to something that Marcus Freeman said when Al Golden arrived on campus. He talked about Al Golden Golden being shocked at how smart the players were and how much they could take in. And, And to me and to both of us, it was concerning because we're like, well, man, it's Notre Dame. You should expect, you know, smart players. And secondly, give them less and allow them to become masters of that mm-hmm. rather than just giving them more because you can, you know, and then they're not playing as fast as they can. It's, it's, it's one of those things where you wonder about him overthinking things. And I think the example you gave about Marshall is spot on. Like, here's the plan. Oh, you know what? Let me scrap this. Cause I saw this and I saw they like to do this. So now let's go to something else. But I think, you know, hearing his thoughts on his guys in the spring, even though it wasn't detailed, I think he feels like they have a better foundation and fundamentals from what he said to the comp, to the media this week. So maybe within that, he does scale back, and they do have a foundation of who they are defensively and then build off of that depending upon the opponent and the situation. So. I expect them to take a jump because I think they're going to be more athletic. Right. I think they're going to be more athletic on the defensive front than they've been previously. Collectively, there is no Isaiah Foskey, but I think athletically across the board, I think they're going to be more athletic up front. I think they'll be more athletic at the linebacker position, and they're going to be faster and and better in the defensive backfield. That 
is what changes defenses and makes defenses more impactful in turnovers and harassing the quarterback and tackles for loss and things of that nature. Hey, Sean. So when you lean up, your your I think it's my jacket. It's it's keeps hitting your jacket. Yeah. So it, that's that's. Uh, so I don't know if you can like hold it out when you're talking or something like that, but that's what keeps yeah. that popping noise. Uh, it's a sweet jacket, but it's <laughs> making a lot of noise. <laughs> uh, all right, so uh, let's get to some some more here real quick. I want to get to some different folks here. Let's get down to John. That's a draft question. Oh, Sean, here is a question that I wanted. I'm going to read because it's for you. It's okay. a question for you from Omar Austin. He says, Sean, could you please rate the Quintana for Jimenez and Cease trade now that it's fully matured? This is obviously involving the White Sox, correct? Yeah, the, the White Sox won. Quintana was brought over to win another World Series. He didn't. And Cease was second in the Cy Young and Went six innings and I think 11 strikeouts last night against the Astros and got a no decision, unfortunately, because the White Sox are like 0 for 11 with runners in scoring position. It's just ridiculous. But, yeah, that's not even close. Jimenez and Cease won that trade. All right, we got those baseball questions. We had a, a baseball conversation yesterday, Sean, so let's get to some more here. Okay. Um, John A1 has a million questions. I want to kind of work those. Oh, here's an interesting one, Sean. This is a little bit of a fun one. Uh, which is better from John A1? Which is better, popcorn from home or popcorn at the movie theater? Well, I actually order the popcorn from, because I live literally around the corner from our theater here. So they deliver popcorn. They pop it. They put it in a plastic bag and put it in the box that you will have it in in the theater. And they literally deliver it. It takes like five to ten minutes. So I also do it from scratch. Yeah. You know, in the pot. My mom taught me how to do it with the kernels. So I'm I'm not a huge popcorn guy. If if we're just talking traditional popcorn, it's a movie theater. If okay. we're talking like kettle corn or caramel popcorn, then that's good from home. I'm not, I'm just not a huge popcorn guy to me. I um uh I yeah. I, I and I, I like it in the movie theater. I don't necessarily love it, but my wife's the popcorn eater in our family. She and she likes making it from home. She's like Sean. She'll make it like she doesn't get like the um, she used to, but she doesn't do it anymore. She she would get like you know the bags and pop the bags, but like for the last gosh ten years, she gets the kernels and she'll like make them like she'll make them homemade, like not homemade because the kernels are already there, but she she'll make them like on her own, whether it be on the stove or it, it, she'll make kind of make her own bag that kind of thing. And uh, so, yeah, she's, she's like, Sean, I'm, I'm just, I don't like popcorn enough to make it at home. That's, that's the thing for me. I was just saying how, and Sean, she'll, she'll, she's like you, she'll make stuff at home. She'll okay. get the kernels and just like put stuff in it and make it yeah. at home. I'm just, I don't like popcorn enough to do that, to be completely honest with you. Really? Yeah. So you never had Garrett's popcorn Mm-mm. in any of your time in Chicago? I, I, I like popcorn. I just don't love popcorn. Like if okay. it's there, I'll eat it. But it's yeah. never like, man, you know what I'm craving right now? I'm craving some popcorn. Popcorn. It's not, only time I ever really and it's, I think it's just because as a kid, this is what we always did. But I always like I always need it when I go to a movie. At least because right. I've been, you know, Pavlov's dog kind of conditioned for it over the years because we would right. always get it when we were kids. And uh, but yeah, I don't really eat popcorn at home. And like Angela's like um, not really eating it right now. She's like do uh kind of doing some different things 
right now food wise and so it's like i don't even think about popcorn anymore because she just doesn't hasn't made it a whole lot lately so Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.